Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nobody wants to be thinking about back to school already, right? I mean, didn't summer just start? I'm with ya. But it's not too early to be taking care of back to school vaccinations. Your kidney pharmacist can now administer most vaccines for grade school, high school, and college students, including Tdap, hepatitis B, measles, mumps and rubella, chickenpox and meningitis, as well as HPV, COVID, and flu. Kinney even has Buzzy the vaccine bee to help take the sting out of shots. See what's required and schedule at kinneydrugs.com. Hello, I'm Denny Somak, and this is The Rock Podcast. Now, I'm a rock historian, producer, and best-selling author with thousands of interviews collected over the years, and I usually go to my archives and pull out some audio clips, and we also mix in some new interviews. We just try and bring you the greatest stories in rock and roll as told by the artists themselves. On this episode, I want to play an interview I conducted with Procol Harum founder and principal songwriter Gary Brooker. What I didn't know at the time was that this would turn out to be his final interview. He passed away on February 19th of 2022. The conversation took place while the lockdown was in progress, and Gary was looking forward to getting back on the road, and he had uh, just released a new EP, which we discussed along with a number of other topics. But there is a story you may not know about as it got very little attention in the press. It involves the iconic song, Whiter Shade of Pale, and who actually wrote it. So here's the background. A Whiter Shade of Pale is one of the most popular songs of the rock era. It includes probably the most famous organ solo of all time, maybe next to Light My Fire, with more than 1,000 known cover versions by other artists. But Who really wrote the song? It was released on May 12, 1967, and has to date sold over 6 million copies and appeared in numerous movies and television shows. The song has always been credited to the band's frontman, Gary Brooker, and lyricist Keith Reed. But it was organist Matthew Fisher who devised the song's distinctive and now iconic organ melody while the band worked on the track in the studio. In fact, Brooker's original musical score did not include what is now the song's most famous bit. So, do you think organist Matthew Fisher is due a songwriting credit and back royalties? This is a real cold case of rock and roll. Well, in 2005, Matthew Fisher filed suit 
in the UK court against Gary Brooker, claiming that he co-wrote the music for the song. Fisher won the case in December of 2006 and was awarded 40% of the composer's share of the music copyright, but was not granted royalties for the period before 2005. Brooker was granted an appeal and a hearing was held before a judge during the first week of October in 2007. A decision came in April of 2008 in the Court of Appeal, and it upheld Fisher's co-authorship, but ruled that he should receive no royalties as he had taken too long, 38 years, to bring his claim to litigation. Full royalty rights were returned to Brooker. It doesn't end there. On November 5, 2008, Fisher was granted permission to appeal this decision. The appeal was heard in the court April 2009, and on July 30th of 2009, the court unanimously ruled in Fisher's favor. (laughs) They noted that the delay in bringing the case had not caused any harm and that there was no time limit to copyright claims under English law. The right to future royalties was therefore returned to Fisher. Brooker claimed that the case had cost him a million pounds in legal fees. And I asked Gary Brooker about it in this interview. So here it is, my interview with Gary. So anyway, how you doing? Oh, can't complain. Well, you know, I'm fine. I'm perfectly ready to have a little chat here. Okay. Now, where are um, you? Where are you in England? I'm in Gil- Guildford. Guilford, okay. Yeah, All right, sort good. Of 30 miles southwest of London. Right, okay. So yeah. uh, I got to tell you, I listened to the, uh, the the new EP. It's really got the classic Procol Harum sound. Uh, and I know you said that it's uh, it was written a few years ago. I mean, what's the genesis of it? Well, it's sort of the genesis of it works backwards in that, well, it was actually the end of March now. I've been having a big clear out because... You know, we get, we're locked down here. We still are to a certain extent. Right. But lockdown, you you know, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't go and see anybody. So you start going through your CDs. And I had a lot that just had one track on them, you know. And my plan is or was, was to listen to them all. Either it goes in the bin there. Um, or I keep it, and then I put them. I will put them all onto one or two or three CDs, you know, with like you know, fifty tracks on each, whatever I wanted to keep. And then going through those, I found these two. I thought, well, that's I was looking for that. I hadn't heard that. What's that like? Well, that was missing persons, and I put it on, and it it said a rough mix, but it sounded. Well, it didn't sound, well, it's a very, very good rough mix. You know, I've ticked them well. The vocals sounded good. Um, everything seemed to be there, actually. You know, drum sound and everything. Uh, and, and the other one was next to it. The war is not healthy. And that sounded, well, that's, that's a bit lively, you know. But I couldn't, I didn't really remember doing them. And I didn't, I couldn't figure out why they'd got to that stage. And that, and then got forgotten. Um, now, when I say they weren't very old, they weren't very old. But that's all a bit relative to how fast time goes by. 
But they were done, I know they were done prior to our, uh, we had an album out called Novum, which we did in 2016, came out in 17. And um, I know these were before that, but not, ver and not very long before that. Okay. That's, well, the, you... that's the best I could pin it down. Okay. Well, you used to play this live, right? In the 2014 tour. I, I, saw you, I saw you do it. Oh, yeah, well, I, didn't, I couldn't remember that. You don't remember doing it live? No, I don't remember doing well, it. Well, go, go to YouTube and you'll see it. Yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> don't remember recording it either. 2014, it says in New York, recorded. 2014. Live. Yeah. All right. Well, that was, so it was written before <laughs> that. <laughs> Well, look, good information for you to know, right? Nobody else oh, yes. uh, caught that. <laughs> no, uh, no. I, I, well, I think if you look on the EP, it probably says "made somewhere in time" instead yeah. of a date. Right. Um, but anyway, the point was was that it sounded. Well, these are Keith Reed's words as well. Right. It sounded like uh, that it had been written for the for the current situation a bit. Uh, missing persons. Um, I just just thought it was very appropriate. I said, "Well, let's get this out. You know, we'll have the yeah. War is not healthy. That's always in. You know, that's always true, isn't it? Mm. So, um, so that's it. So, and we rushed it out. But you know, I gave it to them at the end of March. The, the rough mix because we never located right. the multi tracks. Right. I uh, gave them the rough mixes. My friendly record company, and they said we can rush this out by May the seventh. Six weeks away, right. <laughs> but nothing gets done that far. Well, that is fast, I suppose. Right. People so have to do, drop things. Do you have plans to um, do more tracks, do a complete album, another EP? What are your recording plans? Well, there hasn't been any because we haven't been playing, and at the moment there are no gigs going on. Okay, what up. would you like to see happen? I, you're, you're scheduled to start touring in September. Is that definite or is that still up in the air? Well, I've got to get over a couple of health problems. Once I get those out of the way, I'll know if I'll be here or not. Okay, well, we hope it's nothing <laughs> but, serious. Know, no, uh, well, I'm, I'm still getting tested, so I don't quite know. Okay. But I hope everything's fine. Um but it has caused us to, we have some, a couple of things coming up quite soon. And I know I won't be able to do them. You know, there's early July in, in mm -hmm. London and um, right. Estonia, I think, at the beginning of August. But we're holding the other ones at the moment, yeah. pending whether, you know, gatherings of that size are allowed. You can't did, go to a... Did, did sorry, you ever play in Estonia before? Yes, we've played there quite a few times. What's that like playing in Estonia? Because we have no concept. Oh, well, it's a nice place. You know, it's a, there's three Baltic states. Right. I'm never sure what order, but at the top is Estonia. Lithuania. It's actually, Latvia. Yeah, yeah Latvia and Lithuania, yeah. Um, it's, it's more or less opposite Helsinki, across from Finland, across some sort of sea. I don't know if it's Baltic Sea or not. Right. And um, they're very friendly there. We we first went there quite a few years ago, played at a festival, and, and they liked us. We we liked them, and, and I think we've been back four or five times since. I mean, I played there on my own once at a special deal with uh, 
mm. with an Estonian orchestra and, and choir. So they're, they're very keen on their music. And it's a nice place. They're nice people. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, this whole, uh, I mean, for Procol Harum, this whole classic rock mm. boom that's going on and these like uh, rock and roll cruises, which I know you do, and these other types of shows where you get to meet the fans and things like that. You must enjoy doing that after these. Uh... Well, we aren't that experienced. Um, we haven't done a lot on, you know, done virtual concerts, you know. But you've done um, the cruises. Yeah, we did. We, we've done one cruise. Mm -hmm. One cruise, and it was a very, very good experience. We are scheduled to do another one. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure when it is, but it's, it's been, keeps busy. It's, postponed now it's postponed again right it's going to happen now beginning of 22 i think mm -hmm. april or something but it's a flower power cruise and i'm not sure i've been i've been on know, that i've been on oh, that. Have you? oh yeah it's fun. It's fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely fun the other one the cruise for cruise to the blue or the blue cruise was that the justin hayward cruise yes he was on it yeah that's right, yeah. Okay. But I mean, there was all your vanilla fudge and right. um, Alan Parsons project. I, right. I can't remember the zombies. Right. Um, it was a good eclectic mix, and they right. were all good because I went to see as many as I could of these, you know. Right. And you got nothing else to do except jump off, jump overboard, <laughs> and go for a swim. So let me ask you: Are you a uh, are you a vinyl guy or a CD guy? Um, well, I've, I've still got my vinyl collection. What's in your vinyl collection? Oh, it's, it's priceless. Okay. It probably dates from 1967 to about 1970. Um, and I went to clear it out. It's got to be, I don't know how many feet, but it's got to be 30, 40, or 50 feet of linear vinyl. You know, so it's a lot of albums. It's a few I've thousand. Counted yeah. them. It's a few thousand. But we actually moved for the first time a few, you know, four, five, six years ago. And I thought, right, I'll clear out my vinyl, you know, carting this lot round. Right. And um, so I thought I'd probably throw away half of them. And out of under no, no idea how many are, but I, I sorted out 12 that I didn't want. And, and I think two of those were Keep Fit records by Jane Fonda's. <laughs> well, what, <laughs> what are your what are your what are your like top five classic vinyl records that you remember getting, playing? It's still sitting there. You may not have played it in a while, but if somebody said, you know, you can keep a few of these, but I'll buy the rest. Which what are they going to be? Well, the trouble is there'd be three hundred of them. But I, I loved and still love Leo Kotke's first album. Right which was, I think, called Six and Twelve String Guitar. Yeah, and black then the next one was ice, ice Water, I think, yeah. Uh, that was marvellous, and still is. Mm -hmm. Reading it, it sounded like this guy had existed in about 1870 or something, you see? <laughs> and I thought, wow, and then one day we're in Boston, I'm walking past a club on a night off, and I see in lights, Leo Cocky. But he's dead, I thought. what? So I went in. And there he is, the man himself playing all this stuff. And uh, we became lifelong friends, actually. Yeah, anyway, he is definitely on my playlist. Uh, and that particular album just always sounds timeless. 
I don't know what else there is. I mean, I, I often put Mingus Oh Yeah on, which is Charlie Mingus, Rowan Kirk and others. But that's a bit jazz, but very reachable jazz. Right. Yeah. I can't think of what yeah. else at the okay. moment, Danny. But right. Well, you got a nice, you know, there, it was all, there if it wasn't, well, it's a, most of them were great albums. Yeah. A lot of them were the first albums by people. A lot of them were quite rare, you know, like Blind Faith, their first and only album, I think. Right. Where there was a naked sort of 13-year-old or topless on the front holding an aircraft. Yes. And that got actually banned. And so it didn't exist for very long, but I got it as soon as it came out. And I so I've got that original one. I saw that, that sort of, I think you peeled this banana skin. There was a banana inside it. Andy Warhol, Warhol uh, Velvet Underground, I think. Right. And, you know, the Stones one with a zip on the front. Uh, was it Sticky Fingers? Could have yep. been. Right. But, you know, I like all the Stones early albums, you know. Mm. Always play them. Do you ever play with the I Stones? Like, I like fun. Huh? You ever play with the, you ever play with the Stones? Oh, yeah. 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 What, uh, Many times. Any particular, well, like Isle of Wight, or I mean, any place in particular that we would know? Or just regular touring or like festivals? Well, before, Pro, before Procol Harum, I, I was in a band called the Paramounts. Right. And we, we were friendly with the Stones, Rolling Stones. Right. And they had us on many of their tours in Britain in 1964 and 5. Mm. So that's the period I'm talking about. Right. Not okay. some big festival out of Right. I got you. You know, yeah. no, it was when you could actually hang about together in the dressing rooms. And, and also, you could hear them from the side of the stage, from the wings. Right. Because the rest was all screaming. Hmm. Now, is it, uh, it's true that you, you made your debut in London at a concert that Brian Epstein promoted. Is that correct? You opened for Hendrix and Denny Lane was on the bill. And was, uh... Oh, yeah, I remember that now, yeah. <laughs> uh, what can you tell me about it? Was that seeing Hendrix for the first time? Yeah. Did you, did you, did you get to see around. him? Did you get oh, to yeah. see him? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, well, actually... Prior to that, he'd, he'd just been around for a month or two in London. And I, I did see him on the other side of the street once, and I just saw this thing. I will say thing because of what he was dressed like and what it looked like. Right. Some alien thing. And I thought, that must be Jimi Hendrix I've heard about. Uh, I hadn't heard him play a note yet. But then he, before we played at this, and that was at the Savoy Theatre, I think, that gig you are mentioning. Yes. But we had played at a little club called the Speakeasy just to mm -hmm. um, work out our repertoire with Procol Harm. And Jimi Hendrix just, he got up and jammed with us. But he took one look at Robin Trower and didn't fancy grabbing Robin's guitar off him. So he grabbed the bass off of Dave Knight. And of course, he was a, a left-handed Jimmy. And so he, but he still played it wrong way around, upside down. Got a, but he played the bass with us, not the guitar. But he was, uh, he was fun. So we sort of knew him to say, you know, to talk to. Yeah. And it was nice to play with him at this one here. It was the first time I'd seen him in his own situation. 
he had he had decided that he was going to do Sergeant Pepper, mm -hmm. which of course had only just come out, like even that morning or something, you know. Um, and he hammered that out because he well, he liked the Beatles and he liked that one and he he did a great version of it. Did uh, he, was that the show? I don't even know if you're aware, but is that that's the show where Hendrix played Sergeant Pepper and it had only been out for a few days, right? Yes. Yes. Well. John and Paul were, and George were in the audience. You aware of that? Oh, uh, no, I didn't remember them. Yeah, in fact, George. Back, I didn't see them backstage. George, uh, well, I don't, I don't know if they would have gone backstage or not. But George, actually, years later, because I talked to him about it, he did. You know, the record had just come out, and they saw Hendrix, and they go, "Oh, we, we, we got to recall the record and redo it." <laughs> <laughs> and Brian said, "No, no, no, no. It's too late. It's out." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, well, that was, I mean, it was a, it was probably a very, very top concert to go to on the day. Yeah. yeah. Because you got Jimmy Hendrix, you got Procol Harm, who just popped out of nowhere and, and got the number one record. And was Denny Lane, was it the Incredible String Band or something like that? Something like that, yeah. That Denny Lane had. Or the Amazing Electric, I don't know. I think it was, uh, it was after the Moody Blues, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, the, the chiffons? The chiffons? Well, as in... I don't know if it um, was the, the chiffons or whether there was a British band called the chiffons, but... No, 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 no. No, it wouldn't have been... He, he's so fine. Is that the right. chiffons? Yeah. He's so so that's where George Harrison got it from. Ah, very good. I like that <laughs> information. That's very interesting because, uh, <laughs> oh boy, that's that's great. I can't uh, see, I can't see how the chiffon, the chiffons would have fitted into that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, no, I mean, well, look, in England, you had bills that were, you know, we didn't understand it, but well, you know, I mean, Bill Graham carried that on, and he yeah, was very, very varied. Uh, yeah, but he he would put yeah. the you know, the the yardbirds with you know, Miles Davis or something, you know, something like that. Ravi Shankar and yeah. Tiny Tim. Right. So let me talk to you. Uh, okay, so you you played in a couple of Ringo Starr's all-star bands, correct? Yes, yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, Ringo said, we want to join my band. No, we, you know, he asked me to do it. I uh, I said, who else is in it, you know? Yeah. Well, no, no disrespect, because Ringo's a lovely man. But, it, you know, you just think, well, who else? I, I knew that he did these things and he had lots of different people. And this particular one, he was basing it, I think, on a British thing. Right. Uh, so it, it was all Brits. Of course, he's British. <laughs> and then so was Jack Bruce. So was uh, Simon Kirk on the drums. So was Peter Frampton um, and, and myself. So... That was uh, that was his kind of British tour, and we right. did it in America. Yeah. And, but it was uh, it was great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I stayed with him actually. Did it over about three years. Wow. Did two more tours. Did you ever play with any of the other Beatles? Um, only George Harrison and Paul McCartney. Not with John Lennon. Right. Yeah. With George, mm -hmm. were you on uh, All Things Must Pass? Yeah. Yeah. What did you play on? What, what do you remember? What you played on there? Well, I played the piano, and I get mixed up. Is that his first album? Yes, the three. I was three, on uh, three record set. Yeah, 
Wawa and My Sweet Lord. I remember doing those. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk about a couple of classics, uh, Pink, uh, you know, Procol Harum uh, songs. So you nearly said Pink Floyd there. Yeah, I almost did. You're right. And that was, <laughs> was on my mind. But um, anyway, um, let's talk about some of the classic uh, Procol Harum tunes and albums. Uh, I know that uh, well, Broken Barricades is one of my favorites, Whiskey Train. What do you want to tell me about that? Which one? Whiskey Train. Oh, that that on, was, uh, is that on Home or Broken Barricades? That's on, on Home. Home, yeah. okay, sorry. Yeah, that's on Home. Well, Whiskey Train. Uh, well, it's always... I've was, always that, was, that, it. was that Robin's last album? Um, no, Broken Barricades. Broken Barricades, okay. After Home. After, right. um, Whiskey Train was on Home. And that was, I think, probably the first song that Robin had contributed right. to Procol Harum at that point. Um, and I said, fine, but, you know, and I sang it for him as best I could. Well, pretty good singing, actually. And, uh, but it was, you know, very much a, a trio song in the background. Right. We are just his drums, bass, guitar. Uh, that's the way Robin wanted it, and that, that's fine, you know. Mm. But uh, I've always liked it. I've, uh, I mean, I've seen Robin, and I don't know why he doesn't ever play it in his own set, but he never seems to... He sort of, he, when he left Procol Harum, he went and did his own thing, and he seems to have been quite religiously stuck to that. And you know, thought, I don't know, somebody in America might shout out, Whiskey Train, you know. And he'd gone, oh, no, I'll, think, I'll, I'll play that. But you know, I've never heard of him doing it anyway. Right. Well, no. But we'll I find like out. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Shine on brightly. Well, that was. Which, which eventually I, you re recorded Conquistador later, <clears> but. <throat> The first time Conquistador appeared, correct? No, no, that was on our first album, actually. Oh, it was, okay. The second album was Shine On Brightly, and that had, apart from, you know, the title song and others, it also had um, In Held Twas In I, which was 18-minute long um, sort of continuous piece. Right. A bit of a suite mm -hmm. that swept in and out of, of themes and... Some of it was talking, some was singing, chanting, all sorts of things. So it was a bit, well, it was very different for its time. Nobody had done that before. Right. And uh, we liked experimenting a bit and going forward and doing different things um, and progressing our music. Um, so that, that, I think, was a big part of that, of Shine On Brightly, was that fact. I know the DJs loved it. Mm. Because they could put that on. They could go out and get a pizza and a cup of coffee while it was still on. Or smoke a joint. <laughs> I was a DJ for a while. Oh. <laughs> All right. So uh, a salty dog, which is definitely a little bit of a change from the first album. Yeah. Well, yeah. First album, it was the first songs that we'd written. And we are sort of getting our craft together a little bit as well. Um, I think we'd started to feel our way a bit more as a Procol Harum band, as, you know, and, and in fact, people liked us and people were listening to our music. So the part time we did a salty dog, we knew that people were actually listening to us. 
and wanted to hear us and wanted to come and see us. And that gives you, of course, a lot of confidence and a lot of justification to keep going, you know. But we're still trying to do different things, you know. I think the most different thing on there probably was doing one, as in the title song, which um, was just used as string orchestra. Very little Procol Harum band in it, except for B.J. Wilson's magnificent drum intro. Um, but apart from that, it was just piano and, and, and string orchestra and, did, and the vocal. Where did you meet Keith Reed? Um, way back 1966, we had a mutual friend whose name was Guy Stevens, God rest his soul, uh, who was a, a magnificent DJ, not on the radio though, he used to play at dance clubs, so he used to play in clubs to present his show, but in the Paramount days, we used to go around and get repertoire from him. You know, we'd hear some latest American R&B records and then we'd put them in our sets. But he one day introduced me around his place to, to Keith Reed. He said, well, Gary, this is Keith, he writes words. Keith, this is Gary, he writes music. I said, well, I don't write music. I haven't written any music ever. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, we got along fine. He gave me a packet of lyrics which I took home and forgot about, but found them a couple of months later and just read through them and, and, I, and I wrote some songs to them. I thought they were intriguing, um, his, his lyrics, and I, and I wrote some songs. And then we got together and he liked what I'd done and, and we, we were off. Okay, so it's, uh, it was right around this time, May 12th, I believe, uh, in 1967, that A Whiter Shade of Pale came out yeah and uh did the lyrics come first or the words i mean the lyrics or the music um well like many of our songs that keith and i wrote it was uh neither one thing nor the other i was actually sitting at home working on this musical idea it was in the morning nothing you know smoky or dark about it it was in the morning and i've been working i thought this is a good idea i've got here it had a bit of bark like and then it got into this cycle of going round and round with the cause and i'm humming and hawing over it and it's working fine you know as an idea and then the postman came and i opened up my mail and there's a an envelope from keith and the first thing i took out was this what looked like an enormously long piece of, you know, his his lyrics, his prose, whatever it's called. And um, when I put it on, I'm sorry, when I put it on the piano, I started singing it. And my, my musical idea was just as long as his uh, lyrical idea was. So there was no... I didn't get to the end of my song halfway through his lyric, halfway through his verse. It, it went right through and they both sat there very nicely together. Of course, then I had to vocally move it around a bit, make it interesting and different each. Yeah, it just happened like, but it was quite organic. And now it's one of the biggest selling singles of all time, correct? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You think so? Okay. Very like played. I think there's a Queen song in there and there's that Elton John remake of Diane and uh, whatever. I think you're third or second oh. or something. <laughs> yeah, ours is, ours is very different. Okay. 
no, I got yeah, to ask you this because it's out there. Uh, what happened with the lawsuit over Whiter Shade of Pale? Because originally you won, it got overturned, and then it got overturned again. Well, that's it. But, you know, that's where we are. That's where okay. we are now. You know, <laughs> that was, to me, a long time ago. It's in the past. And um, I just look forward, really. Okay. So I just met there's certain people I don't talk to. Okay. Most of them are lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I want to uh, I want to thank you for your time. Wish you a lot of luck. This is a you know a great sounding EP. You're back to the Procol Harum sound that we all love. I've seen you many times over the years. Uh, last time I saw you though was a few years ago. I think it was uh, with Yes at the Tower oh, yes, Theater yes. in well, Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. You, yes. you, you, yeah. you remember that band? <laughs> I, of course I do, yeah. Just kidding. Yeah, no, it's a good man. Yeah. Yeah. So no, anyway, good, good, man. good luck with the uh, with the new EP. I hope you uh, your health uh, is fine so that you go out and yeah. tour and we get to see you again. And I don't mean in Estonia. I mean in the United States. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we'll be back. We're, we're alive forever. So we'll be there. Okay, Gary Brooker. Thank you very much. Thank, Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Danny. Right. Bye. That's my conversation with Gary Brooker, founding member of Procol Harum. By the way, I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether or not you think Matthew Fisher deserves a songwriting credit and royalties for the song Whiter Shade of Pale. Contact me by sending a note to hello at therockpodcast.com. I really would like to hear your opinion. You can also go to the website therockpodcast.com and you can reach me there. So that's it for this episode. Tell your friends, keep in touch. Goodbye for now. Nobody wants to be thinking about back to school already, right? I mean, didn't summer just start? I'm with ya. But it's not too early to be taking care of back to school vaccinations. Your kidney pharmacist can now administer most vaccines for grade school, high school, and college students, including Tdap, hepatitis B, measles, mumps and rubella, chickenpox and meningitis, as well as HPV, COVID, and flu. Kinney even has Buzzy the vaccine bee to help take the sting out of shots. See what's required and schedule at kinneydrugs.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 